I know that on some committees we're able to see each other, but the public can't see us. I think that there's a lot of transparency that comes with the ability to um, see one another. the show folks you're listening to klbp long beach public radio my name is kevin flores editor at fourth.org and this is city council meeting notes bringing you a recap of what went down at the long beach city council meeting each week we'll talk about the decisions the stakes and the occasional drama you just heard from fifth district council member stacy mungo on the council's decision tuesday to reintroduce video into their meeting webcasts which have been audio only for the last year since meetings went completely virtual due to the pandemic restrictions. Later in the show, we'll talk to former council member Jerry Shipsky about why seeing is believing when it comes to public meetings. But first, let's talk about libraries. A recent performance audit of the city's library services found several deficiencies, including inadequate access for non-English speaking visitors, working families, students, and people with disabilities. In fact, the audit found that 95% of the materials at Long Beach libraries are in English, and when it comes to programming, over 97% of the programs available are in English. Also lacking in most of the city's libraries was adaptive technology for people with disabilities. Although libraries have been closed for about a year now due to the pandemic, the audit recommended that when they do reopen, hours be expanded beyond the usual 9 to 5. The audit also found that overdue fines can be a barrier to access and that library clerks spend much more time than it's worth attempting to collect those fines. Instead, Laura Dowd, the city auditor, recommended moving libraries to a fine-free model. 7th District Council member Roberto Uranga commented on the disproportionate impacts of library fees. What we might want to look at is basically just be just eliminate fines. Uh, let's get the books back. I mean, basically what we're looking at areas of, of, of need, uh, we need our materials. And, and when there is a fine system that punishes people uh, and, and makes people not want to return the books because of the uh, fines and the way they accumulate and, and, and just become basically uh, untenable. The council gave city staff 90 days to earmark funds needed to make the library system more accessible and equitable. You're listening to KLBP 99.1 FM, Long Beach Public Radio. After the break, we'll talk a bit about El Mercado de Long Beach, a new Latino cultural district the council is hoping to create around the downtown area.
I'm Kevin Flores, editor at Forth.org, and you're listening to City Council Meeting Notes on KLBP 99.1 FM. On Tuesday, the council asked the city manager to study the feasibility of creating a dedicated Latino cultural district called El Mercado de Long Beach. Now, if you've heard this one before, it's because the concept has been kicked around since the 1980s. But First District Council member Mary Zendejas said recent events have raised the urgency of moving forward with the project. Latinos, who make up about 42% of the city's population, have been hit especially hard by the pandemic. And Councilmember Zendeja said the Mercado would help aid in the economic recovery. Let's take a listen. I think that the timing is is perfect right now. I think it's it's long overdue and it's time that we move uh, with something for such a, a great project. The proposal envisions the Mercado having restaurants, grocery stores, retail shops, housing, entertainment, art, and social services. The concept is still in the early stages, with funding yet to be identified, so a specific location hasn't been established, but it would likely be in the downtown area, and possibly near Cesar E. Chavez Park. The council is basing the idea for the Mercado on a proposal from Latino advocacy nonprofit Centro Cha. Here's what Megan Anaya, an analyst with the organization, had to say. Additionally, we find that 16% of our Latino families are living in poverty. And that's representative of over 6,273 families within the city. Further, there are uh, additional economic disparities faced by our community that we hope that this El Mercado and this economic district can help us uh, support um, and when it comes to digital access gaps, we see that our Latino residents have less digital access than our other residents within, um, Long, uh, within Long Beach. We see that there is a health uh, disparity among our Latino population, and this has only been exacerbated by the past year and the effects of the COVID-19 virus. Council members Andeja said grants and revenue for Measure U.S., which increased the oil barrel production tax, could possibly go towards financing the creation of the district. Let's turn now to the council's decision this week to reintegrate video into the council meeting webcasts. As the pandemic ramped up last March, Governor Gavin Newsom issued an executive order relaxing some of the state's open meeting laws and allowing public meetings to be held telephonically or otherwise electronically. Since then, the council has been meeting remotely and the public has only gotten to hear their voices during the weekly live stream with no video component. City officials have cited security concerns as the reason the council has not shown their faces on camera during the meetings. And now, the council is finally ready to reintroduce video about a year into the city hall's closure. City manager Tom Modica said it's a pretty simple process and mainly involves just turning on the feature. City clerk Monique de la Garza added that video should be available as early as next week. So there is a piece of equipment or, or some software that we're looking at for translation services. That won't be ready uh, within the next couple weeks. However, that will not prevent us from moving forward with showing WebEx video on screen. Um, we, we feel fairly confident in the next week or two if we can get the equipment distributed to the council members and get it tested and verify that everybody's connection is sufficient. We should be able to do that absolutely. Um, the soonest would be next week, but 
It might be the week after if we can't uh, reach out to all the council members and get that situated. The item, as originally written by 8th District Councilmember Al Austin, sought to make preparations to resume in-person council meetings. But his colleagues expressed apprehension with coming back to the chamber so soon, saying that some city employees have yet to be vaccinated and that more research is needed into the appropriate safety protocols. Here's Councilmember Roberto Uranga, who made the substitute motion to instead move to video. We need our, our staff to be vaccinated. We need to have a meet confer with the unions, and we need to work out the logistics of, uh, of the meetings. And, and until those are addressed, uh, and I feel safe and our staff feels safe, we can go to uh, in-person meetings. Since City Hall closed last year, some residents have questioned why the council has not integrated video into their webcast sooner noting that government bodies in other cities have been on video for quite some time. Former council member Jerry Shipsky has been one of those people calling out the council for not appearing on video and is here with me today to discuss the issue. Thank you for being on the show, Jerry. Oh, thank you, Kevin. I really like to do what I can to support community journalism. We need more of it. So you've been pretty vocal about the city's reluctance to add a video component to their uh, weekly virtual meetings uh, for the last year. Uh, what are residents missing by not being able to see their representatives during public meetings? Well, I think it's fundamental for an open government that you're able to see and hear your elected officials as they do your the work on behalf of the city. I think often when you see somebody in action, you you know, you know if they're on a cell phone or if they're reading something else or you know, they're distracted, they're walking around and and that sends a message uh, about what they consider to be the seriousness of the issue. So, I just think it's it's a good policy to have as much interaction as possible which is why um, every one of us who are working remote, that's what we're doing. Um, and I don't quite understand this, you know, city council's thinking on this, but they certainly have made it clear for almost a year that they, they're not willing to interact with people. Uh, so city officials have cited security concerns for holding off on reintroducing video to the meeting's webcast. For example, last April uh, in Laguna Beach, someone hacked into the city webcast to display pornography. Uh, what do you think about that reasoning? Well, uh, I raised the question. They spent, what, a million dollars for a video board, and they don't have the money and the technology internally to deal with webcasting when other major organizations and cities like Los Angeles and Seattle and other places, uh, the school board, college board, they're able to handle it. I, I Again, I, I, I think this is kind of an intentional evasion uh, of trying to, um, <laughs> you know, make it so that they don't have to interact directly. So, Jerry, you, you're saying that you see this as a bigger issue with transparency in City Hall. I want to remind listeners also that it took the council nearly two months to implement public comment by telephone after the pandemic restrictions prohibited the public from, from entering the council chambers. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I was on the um, Medical Board of California. I was on there for nine years, and I was the one that brought in um, testimony by telephone so that people throughout the state of California could call us during a meeting and give testimony. It's, it's a simple technological thing to do. And we did this almost 12 years ago. So I don't understand, again, the difficulty. I think there's a lack of willingness to make this a top priority. 
And I think that's that's what's questionable. Why? I mean, we're all living in very difficult times now. Um, it seems to me that they would be at the forefront to make sure that they were accessible and open um, to the people who put them in office. And you've also been critical of the council's move uh, into in 2019 to, to cut the amount of time allotted for each public comment by half when there's more than 10 people queued up to speak on an item. Uh, the, you know, the city said the idea behind these rules was to make the council meetings more efficient. Um, why do you disagree with that move? This isn't make the meetings more efficient. What, you know, they spend an inordinate amount of time usually at the top of the meeting, um, making proclamations, um, you know, making public announcements, doing things that they could dispense with in a much shorter period of time. Uh, again, this is an excuse. They want to cut off um, any kind of dialogue or debate. And it, it's, it's not right. It, it's absolutely not right. This has been a slow erosion in city council of citizens' rights to address the council. Um, and I just, I think the, <laughs> we need to get a full restoration of the time that people need to be able to address an issue. You know, this started when I was on council well, it started before I got in council, but even it, it really got exacerbated with Mayor Foster. I mean, if he had his way, nobody would have talked in front of council. And I just, I just think some of these elected people view citizens as an annoyance. And I would say to them, you're there one day a week, one day a week. And if it takes till midnight, maybe it's not comfortable. But the point is, that's what you're there for. And if it's an inconvenience for you, trust me, if you watch the amount of time that is spent on telephones, texting, um, or on the laptops doing other kind of work, um, if they took that energy and focused, um, maybe the meetings would go much more efficiently. Now you, you served as the uh, fifth district council member from 20, 2006 to 2014. And Correct. Uh, you said you're gonna be running for a third term in, uh, 2022. I'm seriously considering that. I think it's important that the fifth council district get its voice back and that um, there be somebody on the council uh, that is not willing to be a rubber stamp uh, for almost everything that goes on before council. Um, I'm very disappointed on, on the lack of focus on infrastructure. Um, and I have to speak about my district, the fifth district, and just just generally um, getting people involved and knowledgeable about what's happening in the area. We have a lot of we have a lot of issues uh, facing us as a city and over on the east side, particularly. And I don't hear them addressed at all. Um, and I just have to tell you, it just even with my mask on, <laughs> I get approached by people at the grocery store who say, "I wish you were back on council." Um, and so I'm, I'm very seriously considering doing that. Will part of your platform, you know, if you do run, uh, will part of your platform involve any changes in these city council uh, procedures? Oh, well, we have to make it open, transparent. We need to make it accessible. Um, we, we need to include as many people as possible in the decision-making process. Because, you know, Kevin, when you cut people off like this, what you're basically is saying to the world, we already made up our mind. So I, I question what's the purpose of having a council meeting if you've all made up your mind and you don't want to have any input. So I, I think that has to be restored. I think we need to get out of the cycle of uh, year-round fundraising. And this council is responsible for this. Um, they were the ones that changed the officeholder accounts. Uh, officeholder accounts 
in Long Beach can be used for political purposes. We are the only city that allows officeholder accounts to be used for political purposes. The other cities that allow officeholder accounts, they can, that money cannot be used for political purposes. And it should never have been allowed. The amounts went up tremendously. And what this means is that elected officials spend 24-7 fundraising. Um, and if we look at the city's campaign finance law that was put in place, the intent of that law was so that um, council people and the mayor weren't spending all their time raising funds, that they were spending their time being elected officials and representing people. And in fact, it restricts candidates from raising money to one year before the election. Well, if you've got an office holder account, you can keep replenishing that account and use it for political purposes. That absolutely defeats the purpose of limiting campaign fundraising to one year. So we've got to we've got to remove that. And if it, if the council won't remove it, we need to put it on the ballot um, because that has had a serious impact on the time and effort. Um, I would suggest elected officials are spending. Um, we need to be open, transparent, and accessible, and we need to be making sure that we're representing people um, who are in our districts and not special interests. And I think we've just really gone afar in the city in the last, I would say, eight years. Jerry, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for what you're doing. That was former 5th District Council member Jerry Shipsky. And unfortunately, we've run out of time for the week, folks. Thank you for tuning in. The council next week will be deciding whether to issue a $5 million loan to the Aquarium of the Pacific and whether to extend the street sweeping relief program. Also on the agenda to be discussed is the city's plan to become a smart city and how it plans to protect your data. The city council meets the first three Tuesdays of the month and you can follow along with our live coverage of each meeting on Twitter at LBC Meeting Notes. You can catch this program every Thursday and Sunday at 11 a.m. on KLBP 99.1 FM. You can also listen on demand at klbp.org or forth.org. That's F-O-R-T-H-E dot org. Theme music by my colleague Esther Kang. My name is Kevin Flores, editor at forth.org. Take care. So